Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Muslims Doing Things, a podcast about exceptional Muslims. This week we have former NFL player, former Viking and Chief Hussein Abdullah. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hi Hussein, Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum Layla, how you living? Good, good. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Awesome. So so our guest today will not know that you and I are old family friends. I met uh-huh. Hussein when I was in the fourth grade because our moms met at an auction. I don't know if you know how our moms met. They met at an auction for school furniture because your mom was homeschooling you guys and my mom was just starting the school. And they still to this day keep in touch. So we went to like, I think, fourth grade together or something. Uh, yep. I believe it was. I believe it was a little bit of fourth and like uh, fifth grade too. Yeah. So that's our backstory. So I'm super excited to reconnect to now after going to elementary school in Pomona together and super excited. I mean, we've seen each other um, every now and then throughout the years. Your father, Alayrahama, also was at the school as a coach for a while. And I recall seeing you there, but it's nice to kind of check in and fill in the blanks of all those years in between and to spend this time talking about your awesome career. Yeah, no, it, it has been a minute. And I didn't know that our mothers met at an auction for uh, furniture. That's that's a good one. Oh yeah. I, I do know that we had a we had our own homeschool, like literally at home. And then uh, we did get a, a small building, like a small office. Uh, and then next thing you know, my mother was like, "Hey, there's an Islamic school, so we're we're, we're gonna go over there." So it was like, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom actually refers to your mom as a founding pillar. She's like, "Oh, she's a founding pillar at the school." Like, I didn't know what I was doing. And this lady, she was just like, "Okay, this is what you do." showed her around the auction. So she has a lot of high regard for her. So I'm excited to reconnect. It's always a pleasure. And yeah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. That's good. That's good. Awesome. So Hussein, for those of us who did not go to fourth and fifth grade with you, who are you? Who am I? Uh, really, really good question. I am the son of Saida and, and Muhammad Abdullah, raised by Yusuf Johnwell. May Allah have mercy on her. I have 12, well, probably when you add everybody, there's about 16 siblings. So from a big family, uh, born in Los Angeles, California, raised in Pomona, California. I'm a black man, uh, African-American, which uh, definitely has different uh, layers in America, especially growing up, uh, being born in the 80s, growing up in the 90s. And I'm Muslim more than anything else, uh, to my heart, to my soul, to my core. I am a Muslim. If someone meets me for 30 seconds, they're going to know I'm Muslim. I just uh, just went to a restaurant and a guy said, hey, man, that's a cool necklace. What necklace? What is it? I said, uh, these are called vicar beads. It's to remember God. I only knew a guy for 30 seconds, but he knows I'm Muslim because <laughs> that's just the way I roll. I play sports, play sports in, as a kid, play sports in high school, all kind of sports. Went to college on a football scholarship to Washington State University. Did well, alhamdulillah. Played in the and then got an opportunity to play in the NFL for seven years. Retired in 2016, and uh, been doing all sorts of things since then. So yeah, a little bit of everything, I guess. I think you say who who Hussein Abdul is. That was a fair short intro, and I mean, you're not giving yourself enough credit. You were on the Vikings. You were on the Chiefs. You were a remarkable player. Um, and before you retired, as athletes tend to do, in order to preserve their bodies and lifespans, ideally. So I'm super excited to get into it. But so you were born in Los Angeles, raised in Pomona. And as you'd noted, you were raised in a homeschool first. Is that right? Uh, Yep. So very interesting, right? The 80s. 
the 80s is a very interesting time with there's a lot, especially of black America in the 80s. So you have a lot of drugs, gangs, violence, probably the most violence coming from the LAPD when you look back at uh, LA in the 80s. And then also uh, my parents were new Muslims uh, in the late 70s. They became Muslims. And so uh, the little bit I do remember being in LA, we went to uh, Sister Claire Muhammad School, uh, founded by the Nation of Islam, uh, Elijah Muhammad's wife, Claire Muhammad. So we went to a school uh, there in LA. And so when we moved from LA to Pomona to hopefully try to get away from all that, the bad stuff that was going on in LA, it was kind of more the same, unfortunately. Still gangs, uh, still drugs, still a lot of poverty, still a lot of police brutality going on, not a lot of good education. And so my mother was like, no, <laughs> we can't do this. So uh, we, we were homeschooled and it was a, a very, very good thing because how are you going to instill uh, the dean? How are you going to instill Iman into your children? If you don't teach them, if you let someone else teach your children, when are you going to teach them about, you know, their soul, their purpose, about life, about death, about right, about wrong? Uh, you don't get that in our schooling system. And so uh, my mother homeschooled us. That's incredible. And there was at that point, as you noted, there's 12. There were 12 of you, 16, if you can't, everybody. And you mm -hmm. were one of the elders. You was Is Hamza the eldest, your brother? Uh, no. So... So the, the 12 that came from my mother, so we like to say Bani Saida, um, <laughs> of the 12 that came from uh, my mother, Abbas is the oldest. Abbas is the oldest. And then Hamza and Hadra uh, are twins. So my older brother Hamza, who also played in the NFL, has a twin sister, Hadra. And they're two years older than me. They are born in 83. And then uh, 1985, I arrived, as J. Cole says. And I'm bad in cleanup, so I'm fourth in the lineup. That's that's funny. That's exactly where I fall. And you were born at the same time and we were in the same grade. I distinctly recall just like, yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of shenanigans. But also in hindsight, I mean, as your classmate, it was like, cool, here's this woman. She's awesome. She has all these kids. She wants to put them in a Muslim school. This makes sense. As a grown woman looking back and realizing, I mean, these were the days of like the Rodney King you know, the Rodney yeah. King days in Los Angeles. And there was so much going on. And for your mother to be raising tons of black sons and, and black daughters. I mean, it's totally understandable why she was like, hold on, I'm going to do this at home. And then, you know, when she saw the Islamic school and met my mom, realized that they can combine forces. That makes so much sense with context. But I didn't, obviously, at that age, really understand that the way I do now. Yeah, no, it was, uh, uh, again, gr growing up black in America, you, we, we had to grow up real fast. Uh, mm. So we had to understand very mature rules and principles because uh it cost you your life as a black kid right mm -hmm. and so i don't know if you remember but but while we were in uh school the oj trial happened during mm -hmm. during that time and mm -hmm. so that was a very tense time for uh black america and white america because you i mean you have this black man kills white woman right in in the history of america we don't win that case just off the headline alone and mm -hmm. so it was the most watched thing. It, we couldn't watch any cartoons or any, I mean, they cut away from the NBA finals to talk about uh, the OJ case. And so just understanding what it was like to be 
a young black kid during that time, you knew that the deck was stacked against you. So we, we always had to be conscious. It, it, it was a part of survival. Yeah. And I, I imagine your mother's role too. Actually, I, I'm sure you remember this too, but your mom brought Shane Mosley to the school and Sugar Shane Mosley, who I think went to your homeschool first. So it's understandable that the local community, black community was like, yeah, like help us with our sons too. Again, in hindsight, it makes a ton of sense. Oh yeah, no, it, it was funny when we when we had school uh, at home. Home, it would just like we'd come, we'd come, you know, we wake up in the morning, we shower up, get dressed. We had to be in the in the living room in our seats by eight a.m. just like a real school. Uh, there was no slacking, otherwise you get on punishment or you probably get a whooping or something like that. And so there would just be a random kid. We'd be like, "Who is this kid?" And they'd be like, oh, their their mother pulled them out of school. They was cutting up or they were, you know, may have uh, been getting into like gangs or whatever it may be. So, boom, all of a sudden we got another kid in school. We got another kid in school. And then so the next, you know, we get the bigger place. And then that's when uh, Shane's family, they started coming to the school. So uh, little Shane, Arion, all of them were were brought to the school. So we used to see Sugar Shane Mosley before he was the champ. He used to always come to the school. Do you, I remember actually distinctly around that time he started to blow up and there was like a massive picture of him on the Denny's off the freeway of the school. And I was like, hey, that's like the dad from cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But hey, I know that guy. He's a, you know, a champion of the world. Didn't even know yeah. it. He's he just picking up his son at the school, right? I know. I think he took us to the movies once too. And again, hindsight, right? If, if I was like a, a child of today, it'd be all over Instagram. But fortunately, we had right, much right, more right. you know low-key childhoods. But um, that's awesome. And, and I actually remember I, there's one thing I think the, you know, I, I'm like a very straightforward person. Like I believe in miracles in the Quran and such, but I don't know if I've really seen many necessarily outside the universe. I distinctly remember, I think I was like in fifth or sixth grade. I don't know how old I was, but you might remember better than I do when, when your, your house burnt down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember? Do you remember? I mean, of course you remember. I'm sorry if that sounds insensitive, but I remember going and every piece of Quran didn't burn. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, that that was a very, uh, it was just a very interesting time, man. It, this was going from the summer, going from sixth grade to the seventh grade. And, um, you know, we're chilling summertime. Parents, they went to go, went to go do something and the children were just at home, just uh, kicking it. Crazy thing. We're watching the movie Waterworld, of all movies, Waterworld. I don't know if you remember that movie. And uh, we're watching the movie, and my brother just comes, and he says, the house is on fire. And we're like, what do you mean the house is on fire? He says, the house is on fire. And Hamza and I look, and we see this big glare coming from the room. And so, uh, alhamdulillah, we, we was quick on our feet, was able to uh, get everybody out the house safe and sound. Uh, and then Hamza and I, we tried to go back in there and fight the fire, right? We tried oh to- we tried to we tried to contain it, and uh, the smoke kind of overtook us and forced us outside. And then, so then we tried to go around the uh, the back and see if we can uh, maybe put it out because it was kind of contained in one room at the start. And then one of my brothers, he was like, he was like, you know, I, you know, I know how I know how we can put out the fire. And he threw like a, a big rock or a brick or something, and it it hit the window, man. And when I say as soon as the fire met the air that thing started roaring and the fire kind of wrapped around the, the the roof of the home and started to go to work uh and so but alhamdulillah again we were all good uh there was things that got that got burnt in the fire i remember hamza was upset his letterman's jacket from pop warner was burnt 
uh, of boxes of set. I think a couple of our a couple of cards got burnt. We used to be big on collecting like baseball cards and basketball cards and uh, you know comic books, and so a lot of that got destroyed. But alhamdulillah, like you said, uh, none of the Qurans and none of the Islamic books were touched. It was the wild. I will never forget. And I was so young, and the I mean, I remember even the bunk bed had melted. And yep. there was like a piece of paper on the wall that was maintained. And I was like, this is wild. I, I to this day, remember that memory very vividly. Yep. You know, a lot, a lot is, uh, there's miracles again, if, if, if we just pay attention and, and sometimes it's not always, uh, you know, seeing with your eyesight it's seeing from a, from a spiritual sense, it's a different way of, uh, of knowing. And, uh, you can recognize them if you're, if you're in tune with your, with yourself. Yeah. Well, I hope that memory wasn't insensitive. I wanted you to know I always think about it. Like it really, you know, seared into my mind, truly. No, it's it's a learning lesson. I think that uh, survival skills in general, I don't know if uh, today uh, we talk about it enough. I think we're so, everything's so automated that our brains are on autopilot that if, you know, if there's a, you know, an 11 year old and a 13 year old, in their houses on fire, do they know what to do? Do they know how to respond? Can they get, you know, seven or eight other of their siblings to safety? Like, I, I think these kind of things should be talked about. They should be rehearsed. People need to talk more about a uh, real life issue. So no, I don't, I don't mind talking about it at all. Yeah, no, no, I, that's incredible. Again, back at that age, I didn't realize the magnitude because you were my age. And I was like, of course you could do it. We could do anything. But to think about an 11 and 13 year old as somebody in her 30s is wild. And, you know, somebody was looking out for you. So alhamdulillah, you guys were all safe. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Yeah. So you continue to grow up. At this point, you joined the Pomona school systems. I think at that point, I know uh, Brother Yusuf was quite athletic and must have realized there was some talent there. How did you guys get into football? You and Hamza. I don't know if Abbas played, but you and Hamza. Yeah, so we, we always joke around. We said Abbas was the guinea pig. Um, <laughs> uh, Abbas was the oldest one. And so one day, we, we, Abushante just came in, and he came in. So we, we call our pops Abushante, and they'll have mercy on him, because uh, his oldest daughter is, uh, uh, his oldest child is Shante. Um, and so Abushante came in, and uh, he said, like, do you guys want to play football? And we didn't really, we didn't really give it, you know, thought or anything like that. But he took a boss. So he took a boss. They went to do the sign-ups all of the good stuff. And he came back. And then like a week later, they started going to practice. And so we started seeing it in different things. And then I remember we went to the first game. We went to a boss's game and me and Hamza was hooked. We were like, we want to play, we want to play, we want to play. So the next year when time came, like 6 a.m., we was like, I mean, we was just we were just sitting there waiting. Like we was just giddy. Like we was up before everybody else. And so, man, we got out there. We got an opportunity uh, to put on shoulder pads and helmets and uh go run around and score a touchdown i ain't like contact in the beginning i i don't i don't mind telling anybody that i was not a, a physical person to begin with i just like running scoring touchdowns shaking people you know seeing everybody go crazy that was my thing Hamza, he was he was a physical specimen from the beginning from the beginning right but yeah we we, we were kind of hooked man and uh we wanted to play every sport uh, we wanted to play basketball. And when I say sport, I'm saying organized. Like we played everything, you know, street ball and, uh, you know, getting the neighborhood kids together. But organized, we wanted to play basketball. We wanted to play Little League baseball. We wanted to do it all. But I wish I'd tell me a lot of mercy on He was like, it's too many of y'all. I don't got that much money, man. So y'all got to pick one. So so we picked football. And that's how we went and got uh, just 
play football. It's probably a good decision in hindsight to have you guys focus because you both joined the NFL. So good for him. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was, it was good. And, you know, the, I wish they used to always say, he used to always say, uh, he used to always say, stay in shape, right? He was like, as long as you stay in shape, like somebody's going to pay you to stay in shape. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy to think about that. Just being fit, being physically huh. fit. He's like, somebody's going to take care of you. And then he used to always say, as long as you're coachable, as long as you're coachable, you'll go far in life, right? As huh. long as you're coachable, you'll go far in life. So you keep those two two things together. We're going to stay working out. And we always worked out, even when I didn't like it. We used to wake up after Pfizer bed and he was like, okay, there was a church right across the uh, street. We used to go run at the church. You know, I'm a little kid like, man, I don't want to run. And I'm crying and complaining. And we used to go run laps around a church. We used to go do different things. Then we used to come back in the house. And then now we're doing push-ups. We're doing sit-ups, right? And he went to instill in us uh, that work ethic of just, uh, you know, being in shape. And then always being coachable, always learning, not uh, being egotistical, uh, learning how to be humble. And when those two things met and we started playing football, coaches loved us because they're like, these dudes don't get tired. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. going to they're going to be first. They're going to work out harder than everybody else. They have, a, you know, a very hard work ethic. They're not afraid of hard work and they listen. Right. There's a lot of people. No, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I and mean, you could you call on Hamza, you call on Hussein, boom, okay, we're gonna do it. And then if I messed up, coach is gonna tell me, then I'm gonna go in and correct myself. And just having those two things uh, instilled in us really helped us to grow. I mean, we wasn't always the best players. That I know, I know for me, there was there was a ton of people better than me on my high school football team. Uh, my freshman year, I was ninth string at running back. I don't even know how you have a ninth string. Was, we probably only had about 35 kids. Like, how am I ninth string, right? But it's just because of I was willing to be coachable that helped me grow. So when the coach said, hey, instead of playing running back, I think you should play cornerback. I think you should play in the secondary. I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. But it's simply because I was open to uh, coaches' suggestions and I wasn't wrapped up in my own ego. That's probably some of the best advice that I've ever heard and definitely advice I want to give to my kids as they grow up. Because even now, like at WISE, at our tech company, like when people come in and they're athletes, whether they're high school athletes, college athletes, I don't know if we have anybody who's like formerly a professional athlete yet. We can spot them from a mile away, Hussein. Like it's the coachability is incredible. And it's one of those things that just lasts forever where everything is taken to the chin. And like you said, it's like, okay, I'm just going to make it better and come back. And I don't think that's a skill that is natural at all. It's definitely something that has to be sharpened. No, absolutely. And especially in today's day and age where it's so easy to play the victim, right? We have so many people always playing the victim. I've been wrong for this and I've been wrong for that. Some of this stuff is just coaching, but you don't like what the coach is saying but everyone's playing the victim. And then there's so many different ways to not only vent, um, but to vent kind of like anonymously, right? Mm-hmm. So I can get on this, I can get on that, I can talk bad about someone here or there. And as they say, misery loves company. So then now you meet up with another group of complainers and everybody starts complaining and it the individual can never grow in that environment. And sometimes you, I mean, I've gotten some coaching that I didn't like at all. Like I've gotten some coaching that really, really pissed me off. Uh, just quick story. Um, my freshman year, 
after Washington at Washington State. This is first year I went up there. I'm a red shirt. And so which means, you know, I do all the practices, but I don't play in the game. Right. This is after I'm recruited by all these different uh, colleges and universities. And when I go up there out of my class, I'm probably the best defensive back uh, recruited out of my class. And I'm probably better than some of the guys that were older than me. At the end of the year, you have these meetings <laughs> before you go on summer vacation. And my coach, Ken Green, and, and I love him now, but at the time I didn't, right? My coach, Ken Green, looked me dead in the face. He said, Hussein, you're too slow to play corner in the Pac-10, and you're too small to play safety. So I don't know what the hell you're going to do. Have a great summer. <laughs> right? That, that was it. That, this, this, this man looked me dead in my face and said I was too slow to play. And I was too small, so who knows what the hell is going to happen to you, right? And so at first, you know, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm mad. But then I was like, no, 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 no. He he issued me a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. He, he issued me a challenge to where I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to prove that I, I I am capable of playing at this speed, at this level, with these, well, you know, with uh, this size and different things. And so, man, I I came that summer, I hit it like I. I went. I didn't. I didn't take no breaks, and I came back, and I was even better than uh, those those other guys. And I started leapfrogging everybody to the point to where, midway through the year, I didn't officially start as a as a freshman. But I used to get rotated in so much that I played just as much as the starters. And so, um, if only if you can take coaching, will you be able to do that? If you're not able to take coaching, that kid would have transferred. They would have you know they would have mm-hmm. complained. They would have done this and their career would probably wouldn't even have had a career after that because they get used to quitting on themselves. So mm-hmm. uh, you got to you got to have some of that resolve sometime. If there's one thing that whoever's listening to this takes away, it's is that like be coachable, take that feedback. And I, I feel the same way. I usually actually because I work a lot in design. And when I design, typically like one of the big processes in design is give feedback. So people are hesitant. Like I think in American culture, being frank is often seen as insulting. And so usually I just start a meeting by saying, like, nothing insults me. Tell me what you think. <laughs> like, I think that's been a really effective way because uh, I, I, like you, love to be told where I can do better because I see it as a challenge. Yep. And, and, and it's good. I mean, I, look, nobody's perfect, but that doesn't mean you you settle down and you, and you accept your imperfection. You improve. Yeah, I get better. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's pretty much so it. People say, but I gave it my best. Well, your best ain't good enough. And that's, <laughs> that's the honest to God truth. Like it's sometimes your best isn't that good. So you have to go and you got to go sharpen the saw. You got to just go and kind of beat at your craft until you, you until you get better. It's a part that, of life. That's exactly right. That just means your best needs more time because everything boils down to the time that you put into it, right? That summer, I'm sure that you put so much time into getting better and thought, of course, but everything is achievable with time. And I think that's where people feel a little bit insecure or like they can't do something is like, well, I'm just not good enough because Hussein's better. It's like, no, go put time in and you can be better. Yeah, it's, it's too it's too easy to quit these days. <laughs> yeah. It's way too easy to quit. I mean, in in a good way, uh, we have more access to be able to do more things than ever before, but in a bad way, we lose our focus, right? Because we don't stay steady and we don't go on that journey of improvement. We start to climb uh, whatever mountain and we trip over a bump in the road and we say, oh, this mountain's not for me. Let me go to the next one. We're just looking for the smoothest path, uh, path possible. Not even a path. We don't even want to walk up the mountain. We just want to 
we don't even want to press a button and get in the elevator. We just want to like press a button and then boom, we already climbed Mount Everest, right? We just, it, it is bad how how people just, there's just a lack of perseverance. And I'm kind of tripping all over my words, but there's just a lack of perseverance simply because there's too many options. So although it's a good thing, it can end up uh, coming to bite us as well. Well, you have to focus. And like you said early on in your story, when our boss said pick a sport and you picked football, what you didn't know what would end up happening is you'd become really good at football, right? Not just like kind of good at football, kind of good at soccer, kind of good at basketball. You have the time to really focus on football, which is probably what got you to the NFL, right? Uh, Yeah, no, it was uh, that that focus. And then just love for the game. Like it, it it was fun. Again, I didn't like getting hit, nor did I like hitting people at the time. Uh, that changed later. <laughs> but I did like scoring touchdowns. And so I used to watch Barry Sanders and watch him, you know, uh, juking people and shaking people and making people look silly. And it was nice. And it, it was just uh, the thrill of being on a team, the thrill of seeing your teammates proud, the thrill of seeing your parents proud and uh, seeing everyone. And then one of the one of the things that I used to love, and, and I kid you not, I used to love when the announcer said Abdullah. Oh, mm-hmm. like that used to be, that used to be like, that used to make me want to just do it again and do it again. He mm-hmm. said like, you know, running the football, he was like, the 20, the 10, the five, touchdown, Abdullah scored. And it was like, like that was something that I just loved hearing. And I remember uh, Hamza and I, we used to play video games. And so we used to always create our player on the video game. And if you created your player and his last name was Smith, they'd say Smith. And if you created a player and, you know, the last name was Jones, they say Jones. But when we created a player and we put Abdullah, they never said our name, right? <laughs> they never said our name. And we were like, one day in the video game, they're going to say Abdullah. Like, it's, it's, it's going to happen. And how many of I was able to make that come true? Yeah, it turns out that's incredible. And I'd imagine that that was super euphoric. I'm wondering though, so you you go to college, you are really good by the second year. Like what's the, what's the process to get into the NFL? Do you just like hope somebody's watching? Do you start networking? Like what was that like from the time that you were in college to the time that you became a Viking? Uh, You just play. I mean, one of the reasons why I went to Washington State was because they had a great group of defensive backs, right? And by this time, I, I, I learned to like hitting people. I started feeling, it started to feel good to see someone else curled up on the ground. Uh, so I was, like, I was like, okay, this is, I can do this, right? And so I went to Washington State because they, were, they had a really good group of guys. And so there was uh, probably like my junior year in high school, there was a guy named Lamont Thompson who uh, got drafted in the second round. And I think even still to this day, He's the Pac-12 all-time leader in interceptions. Uh, and I got to watch him play, and I, and I was amazed. Then my senior year in college, there was a guy – or a senior year in high school, there was a guy named Marcus Trufant who had got drafted in the first round. And so when I went to Washington State, they were like – at the time, they just had these, these defensive backs that were just amazing. And like their – like whatever everybody else did, they would always do extra. Like extra was the standard, right? And so my freshman year, I see two more people go. One went in the uh, one went in the fourth round, and one went in the fifth round. Then the my the next year, I get to see I get to see uh, two more go. KP went in third round, Hamza went in the seventh round. And every year, I was around these group of people that 
they just balled. They just balled. They were committed. And then not only did they, it, the draft didn't matter. And that's, that's what they're saying. Like, look, we're from Washington State. We're probably not going to go as high as the kid from USC. It's not going to happen. But if they, if, if we get a pinky toe in that door, we're going to make the team, right? That was kind of like our thing at Washington State was we work hard. Nobody's going to outwork us, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if, if we winning by 100 or losing by 100. We're going we gonna to keep giving that effort every single play. And so going into my senior year, I remember we had like a junior day where there was NFL scouts. They come to the, they come to the school and they start checking, checking everybody out, like getting your height and your weight and all those different things. And the guy said, hey, look, man, I'm going to be honest with you guys. None of this stuff matters if you don't have a good senior season, right? None of this stuff matters if you don't have a good senior season. And so for me, I was like, all right, well, I got three options. And by this time, I'm married. I got married at 20 years old. And uh, July was born. Uh, my, my oldest was born at 21. Uh, so going into, going into my uh, senior year, I was a, a husband. I was a father. And I was like, okay, I got three options. Option A, excuse me, or plan A, ball out senior year, go to the NFL. Option B was uh, I was probably going to go to grad school. And I was going to go to grad school probably in terms of like counseling, right? Academic counseling or something like that. That was probably what I was going to study in grad school. And then option C was you got to get a job and you got to get going, right? I got, I got responsibility as a husband and a father to be able to provide for my family. And so I was like, okay, well, option B and C are going to be there. So let me go all in on option A, right? Let me do everything I can to make option A work because I'm only going to have this time to be able to do this. This is, this is going to be this is going to be it. If I don't, if I don't uh, have a good senior year, if I don't get an opportunity to go into the NFL, then it's not going to come back around. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I'm I just focused, right. I just, uh, you know, eat, sleep, breathe football and, and Alhamdulillah, uh, you know, a lot, a lot made it work. And by this point was Hamza playing for the NFL yet? Uh, yep. Hamza, Hamza was in the league by this time. Uh, cause Hamza's two years older than me, but he was ahead in school. He was in school, uh, Three years ahead to back up in the story a little bit. While we were at uh, while we were at the uh, Islamic school, while Layla, while you and I were at the Islamic school, Hams and Hadra, they were already taking classes at the junior college. Mm. So they they were, I mean, they were way ahead. Like Hadra graduated from from Mount Sac Junior College. She got her associate's degree before she even got her high school diploma. <laughs> like, my, like my parents, they they were on it, man. They don't, they didn't, they didn't slack about education. That's awesome. So impressive. That's awesome. So Hamza's in the NFL. You decide you're going to go hard. And so, like, okay, you're playing a lot. Is it that the scouts just come and watch you? Is it that your coach kind of like tells the scout keep an eye on this guy? Do they come and watch you throughout the year to see if you're progressing? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. So they, I mean, there's recruiters, right? It's, uh, that's what. That's what. That's what colleges do. They send recruiters and they come to your games at high school and they want, they want to see you play. They, they want to, they, they want to see if you're, if you're good. And then when you're in college and this is why people go to the bigger schools because they're going to be there to watch somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You made it to the highest level of collegiate sports and certain leagues are better than others. So they're going to be there to watch. And I don't care if you're there to watch Reggie Bush because Reggie Bush was the man, the greatest college football player uh, played against during, during my time and definitely should be on who, whomever's top 10 list of all time. And so they may be there to watch Reggie Bush, 
but you're going to find out who number 23 from Washington State is. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's, the mind, that's the mindset. Like, I don't care who they're here to see, they're going to end up seeing me, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. so that's how you play. And then it's like, okay, if this is the guy that you're going to be scouting, then I got to make plays on that guy, right? Huh. Just like if, if you want to be heavyweight champion of the world, well, guess what? You got to knock out the heavyweight champion of the world. That's just the way it goes, right? And so um, that's just a part of the competition. That's a part of, of being in the arena. And uh, you just go. And then, alhamdulillah, you know, you start hearing different things. Again, you got to block out the noise of people trying to say, oh, you're this and you're that. Or you, you just block it out and you just got to focus, though. And you just let your play speak for itself. That's incredible. And then how, how did somebody ask you to be in the NFL? <laughs> like, do they just come to you and say, hey, do you want, like, what's that process like? Yeah, it's a process. So, uh, so you, you play, you know, you, you're playing in college and then you, you'll know, like, you'll know, uh, people all of a sudden, agents would somehow, some way start reaching out to you. <laughs> Financial advisors will somehow, some way start reaching out to you marketing agents uh and now it's it's probably crazy now with social media they're probably hitting people up you know in middle school to be honest with you and so uh you 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 start to know and and again you you start looking like as we always say a man amongst boys you can tell like that that guy is different like you can just see it everybody knows it right then from from that pool of people then it's like uh then you'll you'll probably sign with an agent. You'll go uh, work out. Some people get all star invites and different things like that. And you play in different all star games, so it's another like showcase, so you can showcase your talent. Then the big invite is the invite invite to the NFL Combine, because now there ain't no more guesswork. You got all thirty two teams there. You know you have everybody there: owners, uh, all the executives, head coaches, position coaches, coordinators, training staff. And uh, I mean, I mean, and I'm saying all this, but I didn't like the combine at all. I, I really dislike the combine. But uh, you have everybody there, and you go and you put your best foot forward. And so um, again, you just know, and they're looking. And then by that point, they have all these different, all these different analysts saying, "Oh, you know, we think Hussein is a is going to be a fourth round draft pick. No, he's going to be a seventh round draft pick. No, he's going to be an undrafted guy. No, he can't even play in the NFL. He has to go to." If he wants to play football after college, he has to go to Canada. And so everybody has their different opinions of you. And then it's kind of like, then the draft comes and your name gets called or it doesn't get called. And so for me, my name didn't get called. I went set fifth round came or fourth round came, fifth round came, sixth round came, seventh round came, no call. But then my phone is blowing up during the seventh round. And people want to sign me as an undrafted uh, free agent, meaning, mm. hey, look, we're not going to draft you, but we think you can, we want to give you an opportunity to make the team, right? We want to give you an opportunity to make the team. And first, it, and now it's like, there's no guarantee. That's really, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I signed a three-year contract, but it was really a day-to-day contract, to be quite, mm. quite, quite honest with you. Uh, we're going to bring you into rookie minicamp. If you suck, we're going to cut you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you play well, we'll keep you on until we get to uh, OTAs, which is organized team activities. So signed with the Vikings, went to rookie minicamp, uh, did well. So then now I get to go to OTAs, and then this is where uh, this is where the rest of the team comes in. So then now I'm there with, with the team, and then now we're in OTA. So it picks up a, another notch, right? Because now you're there with uh, – 
with the veterans who, who've been doing this for a while, right? And so now you go to OTAs and you got to perform there. If you don't perform there, we're going to cut you. Uh, alhamdulillah, uh, made it through OTAs. And then now summer comes and goes and then boom, training camp. Now training camp is when jobs are won and lost. And I mean, there, there's friendships among the people who know they're going to be there. But other than that, it is just pure competition every day, every play, doggy dog world. And so um, you got to get it. And alhamdulillah, uh, had a good training camp, had a good uh, preseason and I always like to say that only by the grace and mercy of Allah did I make the team for the Vikings. We kind of had we kind of had a team, a roster that was stacked with safeties, and the Vikings typically kept five safeties. And so I was like, man, even if I beat all these other dudes, which I was very confident that I could, all the newcomers, I was like, I, it seems like they kind of got their roster set, right? They they had veterans in place. And I remember uh, we played Dallas the last, and I had a good preseason, but I remember we played Dallas the last preseason game uh, at Dallas. And I I was dog piss tired. It was the hottest game I'd ever played in in my life. And it was a night game, which was crazy. And the fourth preseason game in the NFL is hell for anybody trying to make the team because you play every single snap. You almost have no subs. So you're you're just going nonstop. And I remember, uh, Bullwear, he was a safety, uh, Michael Bullwear. He went to dive to like break up a pass. And it was like, out of, it was like overthrown balls, like out of bounds. And he dove. And I don't know, still to this day, I don't know why he dove. Again, that's what I say. It's like intervention from Allah. And he falls and he breaks his wrist. Hmm. He breaks his wrist. He can't return to the game. At the time, I didn't know he broke his wrist. So I just, you know, I just keep playing. And I had a really, really good game. I strung together four good games, not only on special teams, but also on defense. And I, I, I played well. And so the very next day was cut day, which is one of the worst days in the NFL. And people, I mean, people were getting cut left and right. And alhamdulillah, I didn't get cut. And that was the start of my NFL career. That sounds so awesome, but also cutthroat and challenging and incredible all at once. And like from the people you went to college with, what's the percentage of people who make that journey and make it to the NFL? Oh, man. Uh, so from the jump from high school, varsity high school to division one is less than 1%. I don't... Uh, <laughs> Forget the NFL. <laughs> this yeah. is just vision- I, I don't, wow. I don't, I don't remember, uh, you know, off the top of my head, but it's less than one percent. And okay. then from college to the NFL is less than one percent. And so, so very low is what you're saying. It is <laughs> very, very, very low. Not, not very low. Extremely low. And like a lot of people think, oh, I got drafted. I'm, I'm in there. No, 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 no. Because you got drafted, but there's somebody who's been in the NFL for four years, and he's not letting you take a spot. There's somebody mm. who's been in there for seven years, and he's not happy that they just drafted a, a young person in their spot. So they are going to go at you harder to prove that you don't belong. So not everybody who gets drafted makes the team. That that does A lot of people, you know, they celebrate when they get – those are the first-round picks. You get drafted in the first round – you're probably going to be in the league for at least three years, right? We'll give you a three-year grace period. If you don't get it right, you're done. Now, anybody after that, second, third round picks, you probably got two years. 
if you're fourth round and beyond, fourth to seventh round, if you come in and you can't play, you will be released and your career will be done. It is a flat out doggy dog world. And it is, uh, it's, it's a beast. It's competition at its finest. Wow. And you were mentioning training camp. Is that when you fasted, when you were like competing to make it into this doggy dog world? Because there, that was a whole big thing where you fasted during training camp. Uh, yeah. So first year, I think Ramadan was, yeah, I, for my first and second year, no, my my first year, I didn't I didn't tell anybody about I was fasting. I didn't tell anybody at all. I just I just played. I was like, man, if I tell them anything, they probably gonna cut me, right? I don't want no special treatment. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just going Bismillah, you know, just uh, make my duas and thug do it. That that's that's how I'm gonna roll. And then the second year, it was kind of uh, it was kind of the same thing. But the second year, my DB coach, uh, Coach Mason, Derek Mason, who's now the defensive coordinator at Auburn University. Coach Mace was like, uh, he said, he, he just to the side, he was like, hey man, I know you fast. And I was like, ah! <laughs> and you, you know what I mean? Like, oh shoot. Like, you know, and then, and then he was just like, make sure you take care of yourself, right? The rest of these dudes, no idea what Islam is, no idea what uh, any of that is, right? Uh, Ramadan or anything like that. So my third year, Coach Mace was like, Hussein, we want to build a plan to, uh, to help you out, right? He was like, we're saying we want, he was like, and I was like, I was like, nah, I don't want no special treatment or anything like that. And then he was like, look, man, he was like, you know, you're, you're good. Like, we, we want to be able to help you out. And so by this time, during Ramadan, during training camp, I leapfrogged like three other people and became the starter. And not only became the starter, I outplayed, uh, I mean, there were, there were my guys at that point, but a big name free agent who they brought in the same year as me a second round draft pick who was brought in the same year as me. And then I believe uh, a fifth or sixth round draft pick that was brought in the year after me. But all these guys were supposedly slotted to be a starter ahead of me. And I leapfrogged all of them. Again, just that perseverance, right? Being able to stay coachable, being able to adjust, uh, continuing to be at my craft. And um, I was able to leapfrog them. A funny story, I won't mention the, the guy's name or which executive, but he tells my agent, he's like, CJ, that's my agent. And he's like, CJ, we got to get Hussein to stop hanging out with, hanging out with this Ramadan dude. And then <laughs> so CJ is like, what are, you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? He was like, this Ramadan guy, this Ramadan guy has Hussein coming in tired. Hussein looks like, you know, he's struggling to maintain his weight. Like, I don't know who this Ramadan is, but we got to get Hussein to stop hanging around Ramadan. And <laughs> he's like, uh... Let, 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 let me sit you down and let me explain to you what Ramadan is, right? And so a lesson in Islam, right? Uh, and for me, it was, it was very humbling that a lot of times, and even still to this day, a lot of times when I run into people to talk to them about Islam, I'm probably the first Muslim that they feel comfortable uh, with asking questions being able to talk about Islam. What is Islam? What is this? Is it what I see on TV, on the news? Well, what about this? Why is that? And so uh, get an opportunity to educate people, right? Uh, people fear what they don't know. And so alhamdulillah, uh, I went from, you know, trying to live out my dreams to trying to provide for my family to, hey, man, I have a responsibility to deliver the message. Hmm. 
And, and what's interesting about that funny story where the guy thought the guy Ramadan was a person is, is that story became like a global headline. Like everybody, I don't follow anything in relationship to football. And I knew about it. Like literally <laughs> it really made, made the, you know, the, what do they call them? The airwaves. Yep. Yep. No, it's a um, huge blessing. Huge blessing. Yeah. And so, okay, you're playing for the Vikings three years. You're like, they can get rid of me any day. I'm going to fight, fight, fight and stay focused. And then you become a chief. Like what? Like, how does, I don't know. Explain to me how this works. What is it like to have your career in the NFL to be a free agent, switch teams? What's that experience? Yeah, it's very interesting. So, so going into, so I signed a three-year deal, signed a three-year deal, humbly a lot. And again, it wasn't like a cushy three-year deal. Again, day-to-day for three years. Imagine that level of stress, right? And so going into year four, I signed a one-year deal. How many lies? It was a nice deal, right? But as soon as I signed that deal, they're like, we want to work on another deal. We want to lock Hussein up for longer. And so I was like, hey, I just want to focus and play football. I don't want to get into any contractual things. You know, I just, I just want to do my thing. Started off year four because, again, depending upon how you play, that's going to be, you know, what your contract is, right? That's how you determine your value or your work or your contract. Um, so year four starts off amazing, right? Just starts off flat out amazing. Then all of a sudden it's like, there's like two games where I just forgot how to play football. It's crazy. I, I kid you not. Things that I have never done in life, things I wouldn't even do on a video game, right? Uh, started appearing and I'm like, man, what is going on? And then after that, I, I get hurt. I have back-to-back concussions, really bad one. And now I'm on IR, which is injured reserve, right? So I'm one of those people who I play through anything. I, I, I don't miss games. And so this is the first time I'm out for like eight games, right? It's still long, like two, that's like two months, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not playing. And so th- that was going into free agency. And so um, I really, during that time, I really had an opportunity to evaluate uh, life, evaluate life's purpose. And this is during a time where all of a sudden there are headlines about uh, about uh, CTE, about players struggling with dementia, about players committing suicide. Uh, one of my favorite players growing up in California, Junior Seau, longtime USC Trojan and San Diego Charger, committed suicide. And I'm like, whoa, what is going on? Like, you know, people are killing themselves from the effects of football. Like, you know. My life is about more than just football. I have a, I have a deeper purpose. I have a purpose to serve a law, be a benefit to a society, be a benefit to my community, uh, be there for my family. So I started thinking about all these different things, and I was like, I really don't know what to do. And so I was like, you know, I read, I read, uh, I read where Allah says, uh, you know, you take one step towards me, I take ten towards you. You, uh, you know, you come walking to me, I go running to you. So I was like, well, forget that. I'm, I'm flying this house, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to make Umrah. Like, I need, I, I need some guidance. And so uh, uh, spring of 2012, that's when uh, Hamza and I and uh, our wives and the boss, we went for Umrah. And it was a life-changing experience. My first time even leaving the country, right? And so it was a life-changing experience. Came back and was going to get in a free agency, but it just... It just it just didn't feel all the all the way there. So we're like, you know what? Let's go for Hodge, right? Let's complete a, let's let's complete that fifth pillar. And so fall of 2012, that's when Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed us to be able to to go for Hodge. 
And then coming back for Hodge, that's when it was like, you know, we got back to working out and different things. Didn't get signed in the 2012 season. And um, going into 2013, uh, I got a call from the Chiefs that said, hey, we want to bring you in for a workout. And so I was like, cool. So I went in there, did a workout, had a workout. Uh, there was some some coaches that were former Vikings, uh, some coaches that were former Bears. So uh, they knew that I could play because I used to ball against them. Uh, there were some coaches that were former, used to be on the Packers staff. So a lot of the coaches were familiar with who I was and how I played before. So it was like, I mean, what's the harm? If he, if he, if he can't play, we just bring him in and cut him, right? Uh, but let's, let's, let's bring him in. And so I signed with the Chiefs. And it was kind of it was kind of the same thing. It's kind of like a one year deal, but it's really like once again day to day. You got to prove it. And so, Hamdullah, 2013, signed with the Chiefs and played another three years. That's incredible. And in that like experience, what was what's a big pinch me moment that you can think of? Um, the biggest pinch me moment is being in Mecca, and I and I don't know if everybody had had an opportunity to be in Mecca. But we started this conversation talking about being Black in America, in LA during the 80s, right? The only relationship we have to Mecca is a picture of the Kaaba on the wall. That's it, right? And so when we read the Quran, these are stories. Like, you know, you read the Quran and, it's, and, and you know, the people, part of the, uh, you know, the disbelievers, they always say, these are just tales of the ancient, right? These are just these old tales and I'm not going to believe in it, right? And so you're trying to have this connection, but it, it's there, but, it, but it's, it's not all the way there, right? It's like, you know, I have this faith, I have this belief, but that's it. The Kaaba is just this, this picture uh, uh, on the wall. And, and again, now there's video, there's this, and we didn't have all that, right? So we just have this picture on the wall. Going to Mecca and seeing the Kaaba, it's like then all of a sudden everything in the Quran became real. Every single thing. To see the house that Ibrahim and Ismail built, to uh, do the Sa'i and go back between Safa and Marwa. One of the biggest miracles, and you talk about a pinch me moment, one of the biggest ones was the well of Zamzam. Like if you've been to Mecca, you're like, who the heck is going to settle a city in the middle of a desert, right? It's just dirt and rocks. Like this, this makes no sense to build this city right here. And that city could not survive without water. And so the miracle of Zamzam is just out of this world. And so just going and then now all of these stories that were just stories that you read in the book, stories that your parents tell you about, Stories that the you know the the Khatib is trying to uh, find some way to get you to believe in, it all becomes real because you can see it, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can walk in the footsteps, like literally walk in the footsteps of the Prophet Muhammad and that's when it's like the iman, the the level of iman just goes through the roof at that point. That's so beautiful. I look forward to my opportunity to do Hajj. I went to Umrah when I was really young. So I, I look forward to kind of going back as an adult and being able to experience that. And as, you know, before we get to the plugs and as we kind of talk about the end of your NFL career and what's next, I'm curious to know about the last game. Like what was that like kind of realizing? Cause that's what's interesting about professional sports is at some point you think 
you know going into it that you probably you're not going to retire at 65 right your body just won't handle it mm-hmm. so i'm curious to know what that was like and and then what like what did you do from there yeah the the, the last game is upsetting <laughs> uh, to be honest with you so uh again very interesting so i had another concussion right and so i had told i talked to my wife and i was like you know if i get another concussion uh, after the whole thing in Minnesota, I was like, if I get another concussion, you know, I'm, I'm done, right? So year one in KC, no concussion. Year two in KC, no concussion, starting, playing extremely well. And then year three, uh, like middle late, middle of the season, get a concussion, friendly fire, own teammate hits me, boom, right? And, mm-hmm. I, and now I'm out for five weeks, right? And then oh. now I got to deal with everything again. Here we go. And so during that time, uh, my pops, Abu Shante, uh, brother Yusef, may Allah have mercy on him, he passes away in my apartment while I'm at practice, right? They came to, they came to uh, watch a game, thought I was going to be playing in the, in the final uh, regular season game. They came down there. And it was amazing the way Allah orchestrated it because it's like the entire family came, right? Wow. And the entire family came and it wasn't even a guarantee that I was going to play. So again, in hindsight, you look back and Allah was like, Allah had everyone there because he knew he was about to take, you know, Abu Shante's soul. And so Abu Shante passed away. May Allah have mercy on him. We bury him. And it was a very, it was a very, um, it was a very humbling moment because this man, my step pops, right? And I, the reason why we don't even like saying step pops because it's like, it's not, it's not dignified enough, right? It's not, it's not honorable enough because a step is, no, no, no. This is my father. This is the man that raised me. You got to understand that this man lived a tough life growing up. He started, he was raising his siblings since the age of 12, which is mind blowing, right? Then uh, he goes to prison on some bogus charges. He goes into prison. My mother and Abu Shante, Nela Merson, they got married while he was in prison. Like as a little kid, I remember going into Chino Penitentiary, right? And so they got married while he was in prison. And so he comes out of prison and this man has to take care of six children at that time that are not his. He's taking care of four children or three children that are his from his ex-wife and then another child. So he, he comes out and he has to take care of two women and 10 children, right? 30 years old, has a criminal record. And, and then in the apartment complex we lived in, there was about three other single women uh, there, all with multiple children. And this, this he, uh, he's a Muslim now. He converted to Islam while he was in prison. And the very first thing, very first job he gets is a newspaper route. A newspaper route, right? 30 years old, got to take care of 10 children, two women, and you have neighboring Muslim women who are in need. And the very first thing this brother does is start off with a newspaper route. From the newspaper route, he makes enough money. Then next, you know, he starts buying lawnmowers and weed whackers and different things. So then now, boom, we're landscaping. Then from there, he starts buying oils and incense. Boom, we start growing. Because nobody wants to give him a job. He's the next kind. So therefore, he has to find a halal hustle to be able to provide, right? And so that's kind of where we got our work ethic from. And so I used to go back and forth. Like me and Abu Shante, we had a tough relationship, probably from the age of five when he walked into my life to about 20 when I got married. Um, We had a tough relationship, right? And when he passed away, it was a very humbling moment because it was like, 
this man didn't have to work as hard for us as he did. He didn't have to go so hard and instill in us the ethics and uh, and really and really put up with a lot of our stuff, right? A lot of our anger wasn't even his, but we directed it towards him, right? And so just what he did for our family and just to be able to bury him, it was just um, it was just a very humbling moment and just a lot of gratitude again from the age of 20 on to 30, like the last 10 years, we had a, an, an amazing relationship. But even still to this day, I make duo because I put him through a lot of unnecessary much growing up. Uh, honestly, God, truth. And so as we get to the next game, we play the, the wild card game. We play the Texans and we go down there and we smash them. Uh, I was able to make a couple plays, but I still didn't feel 100% right. Still kind of off from the concussion, but it, it felt good to get back out there, especially after uh, burying uh, Abushante um, and a lot of mercy on him. So then we go to play the Patriots, and we knew we were going to lose. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, we just knew we were going to lose. The game plan, the year before, we smoked the Patriots, uh, like absolutely smoked them. And we came up with the craziest game plan, and it didn't work. And we're like, look, we got these dudes' number. We know what to do. We know how to play. We know how they adjust. We got to adjust when they adjust. And we did none of that. We went out there like sitting ducks. I don't even think I play, I got in the game. They didn't even put me in the game until it was like 17-0 or something like that. And by then, we were just getting picked apart. So the last game was real frustrating because we had a really, really good team that should have went a lot further. But I'm going to lie, it was just, you know, it just is what it was. And at that point, it was kind of like, you know, I kind of knew I had some decisions to make. Yeah. Yeah, Ali Hama, Brother Yusuf, I mean, he really was amazing. And it's incredible to hear about your journey because as somebody who only reads the headlines and, you know, as your, uh, I guess, competitive basketball colleague or peer at in fourth grade, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't really ever know, ever know the backstory. So when you retired after these injuries and these life changes, then what? I mean, that's always the then what for athletes, right? There's so many directions life can go in. And that's probably why the financial advisors, you know, how he's a FA, like he he watches a lot of sports and he's like, yeah, like these guys have to be smart when they're young, but that's typically when people are not smart about money, right? So you have so many directions your life can go in. And typically the, the way that you're you're paid in sports versus not being paid in sports is really, um, you know, it's, it's incongruent, I will say. So I'm curious to know, like, what were you planning to do after football? And is that what you ended up doing? Uh, yeah. So I started planning my transition um, probably earlier than most, just because, again, I knew that this this is not like being a doctor, right? You become a doctor, you're like, okay, I could be a, keep going till I'm 50, 60 right. until, until I want to stop. It's not like that in the NFL. It's, uh, it's a high paying temp job, for real. Even for those people who have amazing Hall of Fame 10 year careers. All right, they retire at 30, 33, right? What you gonna do next, right? And so that transition is a beast. And I think one of the things that helped me out was uh, seeing Hamza go through the transition first before me, my older brother Hamza. And, and he struggled with it. And I've seen other people struggle with it. And so I was like, hey, I gotta start figuring it out while I'm still in. So, you know, it, it, so it's not as bad. You know what I mean? There's still gonna be a struggle, but I just wanna make sure it's not as bad. And so, um, for me, again, it's, it's like uh, uh, Imam Zay Shaker uh, said, uh, and he talked about the dean and holding on to your dean. He said, it's like, it's like surfing on a surfboard, right? You're surfing, there's going to be some waves, you go up and down, you go up and down, 
you get knocked off, but you make sure you hang on to your surfboard and you get back on and you get back up, right? And so the transition is kind of the same thing. And so afterwards, uh, one of the things first I was like, okay, you know, I got all this free time. What do I do? You know, uh, did some different things in the Muslim community, went and visited some people. Um, but and then I started going to, uh, you know, uh, furthering myself in my Islamic knowledge, going to an Islamic seminary out here in Dallas uh, under uh, under uh, Sheikh Khalil Abdul Rashid, who's now at uh, Harvard. He's now the chaplain at Harvard and learning from him. Uh, then I, I, I got my master's degree from SMU, Southern Methodist University in, in conflict resolution. Uh, I'm big on striving to just bring people together and trying to help people achieve whatever their purpose is in life. And so uh, we are in conflict all the time, surprisingly. And a lot of times we don't even recognize it. And the biggest conflict is between you and us, right? To do right or to do wrong. That is a, a, a ultimate conflict that's always uh, in play. And then from there, you know, I started, I started a, a company. Uh, so I, I have a logistics company. We partner with Amazon. And it was a really good, um, I started it so I can develop and grow more in business understanding and executive, uh, just executive knowledge and uh, leadership. And so Alhamdulillah, company's been running, uh, going on uh, almost four years now. And so now, you know, I have the company to where it's in a good place to where I'm not in like day-to-day operations or anything like that. And so now I'm looking to take the next step. So I have a couple of things that, uh, you know, that I won't discuss because it's still on the vision board. So inshallah, everybody will see it when it, when it comes to fruition. That's awesome to hear. It's been such an inspiration to hear about this Hussein. And it's always a pleasure to reconnect. I, I like have so much praise for your mother, for Brother Yusuf, for what he's done. I think he, and what they've done. You guys are just incredible. So thank you so, so, so much for giving me this time. And for folks who want to follow your journey, what's the best way to keep up with what you're up to? Probably Instagram of all, of all of the social medias. Uh, I use Instagram the most. So it's at habdullah39. Um, also do have Twitter and uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, but uh, IG is, is the one that I, that I, that I use the most, uh, and I don't use it every day, but, uh, I'm, I'm on there. So you can contact me on IG or, uh, just, you know, check things out on IG. Um, that'd be the best way. Awesome. I'll, I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. Thank you so much. You really like so awesome catching up. So cool to hear about everything you've done. So cool that you're in the NFL, which is just wild. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Yep. Thank you all. Inshallah, this was a benefit. Uh, please continue to make do it for, for my pops and for my mom and for uh, the believers all over the world. Inshallah.